Hi everyone and welcome back to On Track, Off Course, the Racing Welfare podcast. I'm Lauren Braithwaite and I'm here again with my colleague Tina Scargill. And this week is Mental Health Awareness Week. And the theme of this year's Mental Health Awareness Week is nature, which has been a particularly pertinent topic for everyone's mental health during COVID and lockdown, hasn't it, Tina? Yes, it really has. And the Mental Health Foundation have actually done some research. 45% of us had reported that being in green spaces had been vital for our mental health through lockdown. And it really has been a fundamental human need through a time of sort of uncertainty and distress to connect with nature so that's really interesting have you found that personally for you that it's helped over the last year definitely with covid because we work from home Mm. we're inside a lot so getting out and also i had a physical injury a few months ago and just you really notice it if you are stuck inside for a couple of days even just getting out for a half an hour just to sit outside it was in the middle of winter with a hot water bottle but um (laughs) yeah it just really does help to get out and it just has such a calming effect yeah it really does and I talk about times of distress because I think for me nature has been I probably haven't really thought about it properly until we've done this episode Mm. but In times of distress and any bereavements that I've gone through in life, I've found that I've just always had this burning desire to get out into nature. And when I lost both my parents, I just wanted to go out walking and just be around nature. And even now when those anniversaries come up, I always go to the beach and go for a swim in the sea. And there's just something about it that just brings that sort of calming Mm. effect and also that kind of solace in times of distress or times when you're just not feeling that great mentally. I can completely relate and um, it's actually really nice to hear you say that because I think there's only been sort of a couple of times in my life when I've been in real, real sort of deep distress and um, Mm. I had this sort of physical, uh, like a primal urge almost to go outside and be on the grass but I needed to have bare feet I needed to actually be touching the earth and I kind of thought I was losing my mind a bit but you know I haven't really ever looked into that but I'm assuming it's some kind of sort of reattachment to nature and the natural world around you and you know I think definitely it's something that's helped a lot of people especially through the last year yeah that's really powerful and just to kind of feel that connection with nature that we all need yeah and um we've got some big guests coming on to talk to us this week about that topic haven't we yeah we're delighted to have chris hughes itv presenter coral ambassador and love islander chris hughes with us and he's he's an advocate for mental health Mm. and he talks about his own mental health and his sort of coping strategies and we also hear from Dr. Duncan Law, don't we? Yeah, Dr. Duncan Law's a consultant clinical psychologist with Changing Minds, who've been doing a lot of work with the IJF and the Jockey Coaching Programme, and he tells us a bit about that, and then also is going to speak to us about that human need for green spaces and nature, and it's 
it's just great to hear from an expert on those subjects and why it is so important for us. Yeah, just to sort of explain why why Mm. nature is so powerful. And I just wanted to say to anyone who is struggling with mental health issues that there is support through Racing Welfare 24-7. There's a range of support from counselling to that in-the-moment support. If you're just feeling a little bit low, Mm. you can call a trained counsellor. There's sleep counselling, there's checking and chat calls. So we really urge anyone who is struggling with mental health issues to get in touch absolutely let's hear from chris so um i can't quite believe i'm saying this but we are joined now by itv racing presenter coral ambassador love island star chris hughes Chris, thank you for being here. The first burning question that everybody wants to know the answer to is, how is the love of your life, Annie Mack? Well, that was the first and foremost, a very lovely introduction. I think <laughs> you sound a lot more happier to speak to me than a lot of people during this lockdown. But um, yeah, Annie Mack is in great form. She's out in the field now. She's on her summer holidays. I actually saw a photo. I actually went, actually, I did a walk with Bob Champion the other day for his Cancer Charity Trust. Um, and I went and saw Annie because we were down at John Joe's and he was, we were doing like a six mile walk around uh, John Joe's Gallop. So I went and saw her. She's happy. She's, like I said, on her school holiday. She's out in the field with two other girls, two other fillies. So the three girls are on a little summer holiday together. She's one and two on the bounce now. Yeah, she's a bit of a superstar. Warwick last time out was like, that was something special. Um, they obviously did amazing to get kind of rearrange the listed mayor's chases because there's not so many of those in our calendar. But yeah, she's... She's some girl, just so unfortunate we couldn't get to Chatham. She took just a knock literally the week before at Sod's Law. Yeah, she took a little knock, nothing nothing too damaging, but one of those you just couldn't risk. Like to, to, to win round Chatham, you need to be on 100% form, if not 99% form. So she wasn't at that. She was probably at about 90. Um, she she just knocked herself swimming, unfortunately. We, we discovered she's not a very good swimmer. But up it, <laughs> up it just, <laughs> just before Chatham. Yeah. They've got those amazing facilities at Jackdaw's Castle where they obviously can swim horses, keep mm. them, strengthen them up that way, which a lot of not many other yards actually have. So she went swimming, she took a little knock and she's fine now. She's she's running around the field. It was like, uh, she probably did it tactically. She's probably skiving off Cheltenham. Like, <laughs> but, she's no, like, she, I don't want to do that hill. Yeah, I don't fancy the chart meal this time. But <laughs> Well, today we're talking about mental health and nature. So can you just tell us a little bit about your background? Because you've been quite immersed in the national hunt scene and you grew up on a farm. And so can you just tell us a bit more and about your experience of riding out and working with horses? Yeah, of course. So I first started riding like horses and I had my first two ponies when I was around I think I must have been about 11 or 12, that kind of age. I had a horse or I had a pony called Nutmeg and a, then I got another pony called Rita. Rita was a Welsh cob. I think, this is going back, Don't uh, this might not be true, but I think Venetia Williams' niece or someone had Rita, my, my other pony, before I had her. So there was a link within race in there. But I went to school, I grew up with the likes of Sam Twiston Davis, Matthew Holdsworth now who does a lot of bloodstock, a lot of, buying and selling of horses within the flat the flat world, flat racing world. And I was kind of just in that environment. You know, I went to the Cotswold School and there was a lot of jockeys come out of the Cotswold School. You got um, David and Jonathan England. You've got um, 
You've got, um, I'm trying to think now on the top of my head, you've got the shoe marks, Kieran and Connor shoe mark, you know, obviously Sam William, Twist and Davis. So it's a proper sort of pioneering part of the world for, for racing. And there's loads of trainers around there, Fergal O'Brien, Nigel Twist and Davis, John Joe O'Neill, um, Kim Bailey, etc. Like the list goes on. And um, I've, I've just started riding. My, my, my ponies were kept at a point-to-point race yard in Norton, um, which is where Nigel Twist and Davis trains, but it was about a mile down the village of Norton from where he was. And a lady called Marcella Bayless, who now lives in Cornwall, looked after, she trained a few point-to-point horses. She was family friends and she looked after my two ponies and obviously went down there, mucked out, rode the other horses. But she also looked after Earth Summit, a big friendly giant. He obviously won the English national, the Aintree national, uh, Scottish and the Welsh national. So a real, a real good, solid racehorse with so mm-hmm. much behind him. And, Marcella looked after Earth Summit throughout all of his racing days, then obviously had, had him in retirement. He's now buried on a hill, bless him, just up in Norton, not far from where he was looked after in his retirement. There's a big stone rock around by where he's, where he's buried, so he'll always be remembered. But he was the first racehorse I ever actually sat on. And he was obviously this, this wow. big... I was, like, I was only little. I was like, I must have been about 12 or 13, but amazing. Yeah, I was just submerged in it, and I just loved everything about it. Um, all I wanted to do was, you know, go up to John Joe's or go up to Nigel's when I when I used to go around play with Sam when I was a kid. We used to go sit on horses and just just genuinely just muck around and be kids and whatever. And it, it was just a passion of mine. And- so we're going to talk about mental health and you are an advocate for mental health. Yeah. And you've spoken very openly about anxiety issues that you've had in the past. Can you tell us a little bit more about that time in, in your life? Yeah, it would have been around sort of my late teens, early 20s age. I was working a nine to five job and I just, I just suddenly, I, I still to this day don't really know how it came about. I started having anxiety at the time. I didn't know what anxiety was. I didn't know what this feeling was. It was, it was kind of horrible, really. It stemmed off the back of not a lot, really, a night out. And then the next few nights I was, I was sort of really struggling. In the evenings I was sat in my house and I kind of like, when my mind wasn't occupied, it was just in this horrible place of like worry and panic. And I didn't really know what it was. It was even going back. So I'm 28 now. So going back sort of eight years to the time when it was really happening was, was a time where, you know, mental health has come on so far, basically in the last eight years. I mean, I didn't know what it was. Now, I think if you're a 20 year old now, you, you know about mental health, you know about anxiety, you know, there's people there to speak to, but I didn't really know what was going on. It was, it was, it was lasting weeks and weeks and I was working a nine to five job, like I just said, and I never wanted to come home from that job. I, I used to clock watch it about half four and I was thinking, I don't actually want to go home because I knew I used to get myself in this cycle where I'd feel just awful. I feel really low, really down. And it was just like, a, it's just a really horrible stage of my life. And I said to my mum, and I, cause I had to speak to someone. I just didn't know what was going on. I said, I just feel like, I don't know what's up with me. I feel really down and had nothing to be down about. Like I was, pretty carefree and all that kind of thing. And I kind of took it upon myself to just to try and speak to someone, find some help. And I spoke to a guy called David. He was a cognitive hypnotherapist. Now I had no idea what a cognitive hypnotherapist was, but I just knew I needed to speak to somebody who could kind of help me in this regard. And I had a few sessions with him and it did really help to be fair. And nowadays um, it's, I got myself out of that, that cycle, which was great. And, and now it just, it obviously helps speaking to people. And I learned firsthand, you know, I spoke to my mum, I let my friends know about it. And then people become understanding of the stuff that you're going through. But I've realized, you know, it, that obviously mental health has come so far. And I know that talking out helps so much, but 
for me, just going through what I went with, being able to kind of be a voice now for, for people in being, you know, an ambassador for mental health charities like Calm, which is Campaign Against Living Miserably. I know the work they do. I know that it's great that we can showcase to people who are going through such struggles that there is help out there. There's helplines, there's people who will talk to you or listen to you, don't have to know them. And people aren't always comfortable with speaking to people they know. But I actually struggle. This is just a, just a side from mental health. I struggle talking about proper like heartfelt stuff with my parents. It's just something, and my brothers, that like I'd rather speak to friends and stuff about that because I find it, I find stuff like that awkward. Like whether it's relationships and some, some people love like talking to their family and their, their brothers. But for me, it's more like, I like talking to friends and whatever about it. But you I mean, there's always, it's always quite nice. I found to speak to people who, you know, don't judge you for, because they don't know you and that kind of thing. And that's why these, these helplines are so good. These mental health charities, these organizations, which do so much good work and, yeah, my anxiety now, I still get it from time to time. I have panic attacks a lot still. I've probably had about five in the last two years. And I had a panic attack in the gym once. Um, and honestly, I, was, I thought I was having a stroke, it was, it, which probably made it worse because I didn't really, I've never experienced a panic attack before. But I got pins and needles from like my, literally my toes into my face, like all up my body to the point where my jaw was like cocked. I couldn't speak. I, my, my hands cramped up. Um, like almost into like claws, like, like almost like crab-like claws. And I just couldn't, man, I was like that for about 10, 15 minutes. And I would just, I didn't know what was going on. I've just felt, and I felt it all develop up me. And I've had panic attacks since, but that's more or less me. I actually had another panic attack in a gym recently um, after that episode, about three months down the line. And it, that was purely off the basis that I was putting myself back in that mental environment because it's something I've been through before. But nowadays, like I, I get anxiety and stuff now, but I, I'm so happy within myself and I'm quite proud of myself. I know how to deal with it. Hmm. And I know that when it comes on, there's, there's things that I can do. And I imagine we'll talk about a few of these things, which yeah, I can know. You, can, you do, can you explain some of those things for the people listening yeah. to try and get Because I, I know that I've had like my worst days behind me in terms of feeling down, feeling low, feeling sort of sad and anxious. And for me, I... I I, I'm, I try and be strong in my mind. Like, that's obviously a difficult thing, but... I know that I know that those feelings are only temporary. At the time when I first experienced them, it was horrible. I didn't know how I could shake it. Just just understanding that you, you can have bad days is such a blessing. Like we we're humans in the end of the day. Like we're not robots. Not every day is meant to be amazing. Else, you know, life would be every minute of the day, life would be so good. But it's never like life is never easy. Like each Sunday's some things happen which kind of knocks us off our perch and then other days everything falls into place and mentally it's like the same you know you're gonna have days where you wake up and you feel worse some days and some days you wake up and you feel fine and that's one thing at the time I could never gauge like I was thinking why is it some of the time I'm all right why when I'm at work in a nine-to-five job do I feel all right and then when I get home and my mind's allowed to wander a bit do I start feeling rubbish again and that's kind of what it was for me it was more of like an understanding of myself understanding life and just genuinely speaking to people and for me now like I, I still have days where I feel a bit rubbish and stuff but I like to be occupied I'm one of those people that I'm never kind of satisfied I always want to be working is one of the things which is obviously different to a lot of people but mm -hmm. I love being able just to go and work and literally be busy the whole time and even now I've done so much over the last four years but I'm, I want more I'm, I'm never satisfied with what I've achieved. Like, I always want more. And 
I love playing golf and that's golf is one of like my biggest things for feeling good. Like I get out on a golf course, you're in like countryside, which is just such open, open air. Like the, you're in fields of space, like you're isolated for four or five hours. And it does me so much good walking around there and the gym as well. Like this is what I felt for everybody during lockdown and everything that we were going through. Like the gym is such an amazing feeling. Like the start of lockdown, I was, I was like working out again. I'd just come out of a relationship. I was, I was working out because it was making me feel good. Like the serotonin's just exercise creates within your body, makes you feel good, makes you feel like you've got up and done something. And I can't stay in bed nowadays. I can't have lines. Some people can, like you can obviously reward yourself at weekends. But for me, like I struggle to wait a line past 7.30, even when I've got nothing to do in the day. I just like getting up and kind of getting every minute of the daylight. And I know it's, I know it sounds ridiculous, but like the sunlight and it's just, it's so good for you. The mornings getting out in the fresh air, there's so many little things you can do, which seems so basic, but can help your mental health in so many ways. Mm. You've said in the past in interviews that when you were going through that really bad time with your mental health, that even getting out for an hour a day really helped you. Is that something that was given to you by, were you sort of told that as part of your support to make sure you do get outside? Yeah, during that first lockdown, I mean, I still do it now, but I was going out and I was kind of just walking for an hour, mm. walking or doing 10,000 steps, whatever kind of seemed right for me at the time. And it just made me feel so good. It just, it's an amazing thing. Being sat indoors all day isn't fun. I think we've learned that during this, during this actual, you know, lockdown, that it's not fun being cooped up. I feel sorry for everybody who hasn't had the opportunity to be able to leave their house much. People who've got, you know, children at young ages where they, can't really do anything like it must be so hard because you're we've been starved of that freedom but hopefully now things are opening back up and it will be on the straight and narrow in a fairly soon because yeah it's been awful and like people don't know how to cope with it but trust me I've been in their position like for people who are listening if they've been in, in this position they're still in it like I've been in the position where all I thought about was why like why is this happening to me why do I feel like this why why am I not why why am I not getting better? Like, why am I not feeling better? Why am I still feeling miserable? And like, trust me, I felt like it couldn't get better, but it does. And that's, that's the beautiful thing. If you can take anything, like any beauty from it, the, the beautiful thing is like no feelings ever permanent. And that's what I think people have got to remember. Yes. Yeah. That's such an important thing. Has, has learning that helped you to deal with things like the breakup you mentioned? Is that, something yeah. that's got you through yeah I think with with breakups and stuff I mean they're always like breakups are always difficult in some respect I think with my ex just being like we we still get on really well like me and Jesse are such good friends like we still we still talk we still communicate we still support each other so for me I actually was it was I don't know it's, it, I wouldn't say it was like a nice breakup to get over because I, I don't think breakups are nice but it's so amicable. And I think that was the loveliest thing about it because I think I went through a whole life and breakups were meant to be like turmoil. But this one, was, you know, it was nice. We had respect for each other and we still supported each other. So I kept a friend, do you know what I mean? I didn't lose everything, but yeah, I mean, I did have a breakup at the time where lockdown was almost starting, but mm -hmm. that kind of lockdown in everything else, not really the breakup, it just gave me motivation. The lockdown being... I mean, we had no option to be kind of on lockdown. We were stuck inside. We weren't allowed to do anything. So I just thought I've got to make use of this time. There's no point me 
sit here watching. There's only so many things you can watch on TV, isn't it? I mean, I was just motivated within myself to better myself. You like, need those goals in life. Everyone needs goals. You're setting yourself goals. I have a diary, right? And I'm, I'm 27. I don't know anyone else. Well, I'm 28, actually. I keep saying I'm 27. No, I'm 28. I'll forget. I'll stop pretending I'm still 27. I have a diary, and not many people my age do, to be fair. And my diary is so good for my mental health. Like, I cannot explain, right? I woke up one morning, this was only last week, and I had, oh my God, I had so, like, I had so much to do. It was, it wasn't even, it, it, some people think it was petty stuff, but I had literally, like, I had to go and get something done with my car because I needed it fixed, but I had an appointment booked in, so I couldn't miss that. But then I had, like, appointments on Zoom with something. I had a job the next day, which I had to pack and prepare for. I had to go to Aintree as well, which I had to fully pack for the following day. And I still had to organize like my cars and hotel and everything like that. And then, but there was other things as well, but it was so much. And I went to bed that night and my head was fried. And I was like, this is, this is killing me. Like, what am I, I cannot, I could not sleep. I couldn't focus. I was, I had like a restless sleep. So for me, I woke up the next morning and I wrote down everything I needed to do in my diary. You can have a bit of paper, I mean, you don't need a diary, but this is what I do all the time. Every bit of money I ever earn is why well. every job I do, I write down in my diary, I have like a list and I wrote down everything I needed to do and I just used it as a tick list and I cannot explain. Like it is, having it written down, go through a checklist and it straight away, it calms you down, it makes you think, okay. It really does. Right? I can, and like, it's, it's almost like having a structure to your day. I like having a structure to my whole life, really. I mean, when I've got work, I like to kind of, I like to be well prepped for it. And I think it's little things as well. Like if you, this is, this is going to sound mad coming from, from myself because people will know me, but having a clean bedroom in a clean house just or a clean desk or somewhere where you sit and do work or whatever, like that again, makes you just half your workload straight away. It just mm -hmm. makes, you, makes you feel so much more relaxed and makes everything feel more achievable. And I think there's an old saying, something like clean desk, clean mind or something, but it's so true. I think if I worked in an office, I don't think I could have, if you had like letters and papers, and just everything scattered about everywhere and you're like trolling through everything, trying to find stuff you need, like that would just, I couldn't do that. I wouldn't be able to cope. Just talking about mental health, at what point when you went for the hypnotherapy, at what point did you realize you needed help and it got so bad that you needed to yeah. reach out to really get that support. Yeah, before it was it was when I when I was trying to go to bed every night and I could not escape this on my mind. Like I was trying, I was going to bed and it got to I because I knew when I was asleep I would feel okay because I wouldn't know what was going on when I was in my sleep. But before that moment of being able to go to sleep, say I went to bed at nine o'clock or half nine, there was a local gym which was open till ten o'clock. Some nights I went to bed at nine o'clock and I just couldn't get this feeling out of my mind. And I'd wake up and I'd drive because driving would give me a distraction. Believe it or not, it sounds so weird, but just getting in a car and just driving, something to focus my mind. But I'd go to the gym at half nine, just not because I wanted to go to the gym, but because I wanted to do something. I had to be distracted. I needed a distraction. I couldn't be, just be sat in my room doing nothing because I was just awful. It was awful for my, it was also awful for myself, awful for my mind. And, um, and that was at the point where, you know, after a few weeks of feeling this, and not really knowing what it was, I was like, I can't, I can't go through this. Like, this is horrible. I'm actually, I'm punishing myself not speaking to anyone. I literally was. I felt like I was looking back. I was punishing my own, my own mind by not speaking. To I get out straight away, and 
I spoke to that guy. We worked on so many things like that cognitive hypnotherapy. We worked through like talking about shapes and imagery and focusing your mind on stuff and kind of putting negative thoughts into something like negative thoughts to me would be like a triangle because it's like spiky. Like that would be a shape which I'd describe a negative thought. It's really weird, but that was just my own way of dealing with things. And I've also seen, I've seen people since I've seen hypnotherapists a couple of times on numerous occasions. I see a girl who I think it's, is it Old Brompton Road or something? She, she works on Old Brompton Road in, um, in London. And I've gone down there numerous times just to, just to kind of speak to her and be hypnotized and just, it was something where I wanted to, I wanted to help myself. So I've no hesitation when it comes to speaking to people now and picking up the phone. If I feel crap, I've got good friends around me now. I've got such close friends, which they don't even need close friends. That's the beauty of like helplines, like calm. You can, you can ring people and there's just a number there. There's 24 seven support, ring someone and just speak to them, have a conversation with them. They're not going to judge you and they know what you'll be going through. So they'll be able to assist and be able to help. But, I'm just so grateful now. I'm just happy in my own mind that I, I can deal with it. And there's, there's days where it still happens. I'm not, it's not like I just, I've gone and seen a few people. I speak to people now and I don't experience anxiety or feeling low or feeling a little bit sad. I still get that, but I, I find ways to deal with it. It's hard work, isn't it? Keeping up. It's like your physical health. You go to the gym a lot. You have to do it with your mental health too. It's really... You have to look after your mental health and give yourself time and space to actually think, I'm not feeling great let me deal with it 100 percent, and they coincide so well i think you know you look after your physical health and it will help your mental health and you look after your mental health and it gives you the opportunity just to just to flourish in life a bit more it was only literally on the weekend um my housemate and me we, we were doing he's got a watt bike a new sort of exercise bike and we did like a challenge against each other on there and like the feeling after that like i felt like i did something on my sunday afternoon then i went out and had like a roast dinner after and I felt unbelievable. And that's purely for the basis that I've done some exercise. My body's, you know, my heart rate's picked up. I've managed to do something. And now, I was just wondering about your golf. Like, do you think um, it's not just being outside, but because you actually have to focus on your technique? And I mean, it gives you, there's so many mechanics to golf. It's one of those sports where it's like, it don't matter how good you are, you can be the best in the world. You can still be better. Uh, there's so much mechanics to a golf swing. And yeah, like you say, there's so much to golf, being out on a golf course, you've got to stand over a ball. And for me, yeah, it's, the, it's not just being outside for five hours. It's like my posture standing over a ball. I've got to get my, there's so much I've worked on getting my shoulders back, keeping my chin up on, on a dress and like the, just everything, the, the, my hand, the length between my, like my hands and my hips and all sorts, really. I mean, I, I could bore you with it, but... Yeah, like you just said, and like you touched upon, there's so much to it. It is such a good distraction. Yeah, sorry, I was going to say, is it the same when you're riding out? I went up to Richard Fahey's up in Yorkshire, and I was riding, he put me on about six lots one day, and I was absolutely <laughs> struggling. I rode work on um, I rode work on some of these sprinters where they've got like a two and a half furlong gallop, where essentially, you, when, the moment you turn the horse's head, they know they're working, and they just bolt off in your hands. <laughs> Fortunately, it's a bit we, different on flat horses. Yeah, it's different on a flat horse, but I mean, I actually didn't mind riding two and a half furlong work on a sprint horse because you got the long gallop when you've done five lots and that's a lot more of a struggle just trying to hold a posse when you're, yeah, over sort of six, seven furlongs when you're absolutely knackered. Like it's, it's tough, but it's a great fitness. And again, I've always said it, there is, 
for me, there is no feeling like being on a racehorse for your mental health. You, you escape everything. Like it's, it's an unbelievable thing. You just feel free. You feel like you've escaped every trouble in your life. You feel like it's just you and a horse. And it's like your mate when you got, it doesn't matter who the horse is underneath you. Like that horse is, is, is like your friend. And it's, and it's an amazing thing. Like I've always said that, like, I feel great when I've been up to John Joe's or the Tizards in the morning and I've rode out that morning, that, that feeling afterwards, yeah, my legs are a bit tired. They're going to be sore. They are the next day, but I feel great. I've got up in the morning, early doors. I've got it done and I've had some exercise. When you, if you're riding on your own as well, you just feel like a cowboy. When you're on a racehorse, when you're just like flying across the field, you do, you feel like, and I trust me, cowboys, they're like free spirits, aren't they? So, <laughs> I mean, it does, yeah, it does feel good, yeah. Yeah, um, talking about that what bike challenge with your housemate, are you quite a competitive person? Do you like winning? I'm very competitive. He beat me. <laughs> not, I'm not, he does a lot of the cycling stuff on the Are walk. you making excuses now, Chris? No, I'm not. See, <laughs> I do, to be honest with you, I'm very competitive. Like, and, and actually, we're going to have another challenge tonight because <laughs> again, we tried like a, it was like a cobble hill climb. That was the route. It was called a cobble hill climb. So I'm thinking, all right, it can't be that bad. Honestly, they're so realistic, these what bikes. I was like cycling, and you get to the hill, and then it's literally like each man, I was going at a snail's pace. I'm thinking, I'm just going to this hill. Because you've got to get your iPad to the screen. You're literally you're watching it as well. So you're like an interactive kind of street or circuit. And it is amazing, like the like the quality of like how realistic it is is, is phenomenal. But I did this cobble hill climb, I think it took me 27 minutes 50 to do 9.5k. That was the route. And Jim, my housemate, did 9.5k in I think just over 20 minutes, like 20 minutes, 20 seconds. So he beat me by about seven and a half minutes, which is a shambles, really, because he's twice my <laughs> It's all right. Um, if you're getting into your cycling, Chris, Racing Welfare are doing a big cycling challenge in August. Oh, From Carlisle Racecourse all the way to Newton Abbott, 100 miles a day. Sorry, a day. Yeah, for five days. A 500 mile trip? Yeah. No, you're not, are you? Yeah, um, you'll be fit by then. How do you, what do you do then? You pit stop at places? Yeah, so it's all organised um, by a professional company that organised bike challenges. So you literally just have to turn up at Carlisle on the That's 17th of August. And they, everything's organised, accommodation, food. There's like yeah. a pit crew that come with you, a medic. Um, I, bet be, I bet that will be, I imagine actually people watch this and actually sign up to it, but that will be an amazing experience. You can, it's like something, it's an achievement as well, isn't it? So people will love that. Yeah, 100 miles a day. That's, and it's, you're, you're challenging yourself as well as obviously doing stuff for an amazing cause. I think that can be like having a challenge like that, having a goal to aim for can be really yeah. beneficial for your mental health content gives you gives you a focus gives you something to kind of knuckle down for this is why aren't every time we got like boris's announcement when it was like i oh, would be in here for another six weeks or whatever that six weeks gave me motivation i was thinking right i'm not going to actually be able to do anything for these six weeks so i can got six weeks more to better myself before we get back in the big wide world where obviously we find it harder to stay dedicated to stuff. Mm. Well, thank you so much for joining us and for being very honest and open with us. Um, but before you go, you have to do a quick fire five with Lauren. Okay. Are you ready the fear for of God into everyone with these. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Chris, fill in the blank. I am happiest when? Sitting on a racehorse. When I'm feeling overwhelmed, I... Speak to a friend. 
And can you give us your one top tip for looking after your well-being? My one top tip is to be organised. Don't put too much... This is going to be a number of tips. (laughs) Go for it. (laughs) Be organised. Don't put too much stress on yourself. And get out in the environment. Like embrace nature for what it is. Because it will give you something back. And can you give us a book, a person or a film, just something that's inspired you recently? Oh, that's an amazing question. I mean, you're talking to somebody who's only watched 10 films and those 10 films he's watched about 17 times each. <laughs> I can't watch films back. But Dumb and Dumber will always be my favourite film. Oh, it's um, I think my parents always inspire me. I think when I go home every now and then, every couple of weeks, I get pep talks from them. And it kind of makes me think that they're old fashioned in the respect that it's something you can appreciate, that they're organised they're amazing. Like my mum and dad are so fashion. Their finances are amazing. They're never in debt to anyone. They pay everything off on time. They never got speeding tickets. They never get parking fines. Like they do everything by the book. And it is quite inspiring because I mean, I will dump my car and I will get, I've got about three parking fines I still need to pay. Like in, in I tell my mum that and she nearly, well, she's had a heart attack before she, she nearly has another one. And I'm like, just chill. I said, I'm not, as, I'm not as on it as you are. But yeah, I mean, I am a nightmare when it comes to stuff like that. So yeah, I look at it like my parents have been very inspiring. And last question, can you give us a horse to follow? For me, I'm trying to think if there's any like five-year-old, six-year-old, five-year-old decent horse up here, a junkyard I know, which I can give you over sort of the back end of the season. Probably not, I might have to come back to you on that one. Well, I can't on the podcast, so I definitely can't. <laughs> Oh, I don't. I, we can I, keep I, following Annie, Matt, can't we? What's she going to well, do yeah, next? To follow, yeah, continue to follow Annie. I mean, hopefully, after a little summer holiday, she can she can go and win her races again next year. We want the big prize. We want the ultimate. No, we want her to run at the festival again. We just she's so ground dependent. We know she runs like she performs well on soft ground now. Like she's one of the best mares in the country, the best chasing mares in the country when it comes to especially on soft ground. I think she's the best. So. Yeah, she'd definitely be one to follow. She'll win her races next year. I'm delighted to say we're joined now by Dr. Duncan Law, a consultant clinical psychologist from Changing Minds. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you for inviting me. Um, Could you explain a bit more about Changing Minds and how you got involved with the racing industry? Sure. Changing Minds is uh, uh, we're an organisation that works across uh, elite sport in all sorts of various different ways uh, and uh, provide uh, applied psychology input uh, and that can be either sports psychology or in my case clinical psychology Um, and the way we work with organisations is to usually be embedded in the system to try and see how we can provide support to people who have psychological issues, whether those are mental health issues or whether they're performance issues, Um, but also to try and see how we can create what we call a a psychologically informed performance system. So an, an environment which is much more driven by good psychological knowledge so that people can uh, be in the best position psychologically to perform as well as they possibly can. Um, 
And it was through that, uh, and actually through the, uh, we did a piece of work with the PJA, um, uh, looking at uh, how uh, the racing industry might better work with uh, mental health issues. Um, and it was through that piece of work that we were contacted by IJF, and now we're in a very happy partnership with the IJF um, uh, which has been going for well just under a year now. Um, I think it'll be a year in in August. And what um, specifically are you doing for jockeys as they come into their professional lives? Um, so, well, within the IGF generally, we're providing uh, mental health services. So, I'm one of three clinical psychologists uh, who work out of the three IJF centres. Um, and we're offering uh, mental health support. We sort of see it as uh, uh, psychological rehab. So IJF is very well known for its sort of physical rehab. Uh, mm -hmm. We see that we provide uh, psychological rehab. How can we help people get either uh, or back on with their lives as, as quickly as possible, uh, either by doing work ourselves or by uh, referring people on to other organizations who might be able to provide the support they need. Um, and we, through that, we, we got really interested in uh, how we can have more open uh, conversations with uh, new jockeys just coming into the, uh, into their careers uh, because it's a, it's a really, it's a really tough industry. Um, I mean, being a jockey is, uh, I mean, you, your own um, report that you did with John Moore's university on the, the sort of the, the, the impacts, the mental health impacts of, uh, of, of working in the racing industry and particularly being a jockey. We know it's really, it's really tough. Um, and we also know, and again, it comes from that, I think it was a great report, uh, that it's the environment around jockeys, which is... Uh, uh, like in most elite sport, there are parts of it which are really conducive to good mental health. So being part of, a, of an elite environment uh, when you're winning, it's fantastic. Um, but also we know that the environment can have a really um, detrimental impact on people's mental well-being. So uh, the relentlessness, the, the distance traveled, uh, mm. The, the weight issues, um, the kind of wondering for some jockeys when you're going to get your next ride and if you do, when you're going to get your next win. All these things have a, a really big impact on people's mental health. So we were interested, and this came out of a conversation with the, uh, the jockey coaching programme um, who talked about uh, it would be really good for us to be involved right at the start of people's careers to open up conversations about mental well-being, but also to try and catch any issues that might be developing early on. Uh, and from that, uh, so with the IJF uh, in conjunction with the, 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 the racing schools, uh, we've started now doing uh, uh, mental well-being check-ins with, uh, we're going to roll this out with all the uh, 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 young jockeys who come through the licensing programs. So to have a, a brief check-in with them to discuss their current mental well-being, 
to think with them about sort of future issues that might impact them uh, negatively and then to, I guess, flag up early what support is available to them as and when they might, they might need it. Um, so we just started that and I must say it went, as far as I was going, fantastically well. Uh, I was really impressed by how open the young jockeys were to talk about their mental well-being. Um, we know that, uh, well, uh, there's, there's a lot of stigma around mental well-being. And again, the, your, your report from a couple of years ago really flags that, that a lot of people, and particularly jockeys, were uh, cautious about coming forward to seek help because of their fear about the, the, the stigma. Uh, but I was really impressed by how these young jockeys were very open to talking about mental well-being and also recognised that mental well-being was as important as physical well-being to be able to perform to the, uh, the standards that they want to, to perform to. And would you be able to just expand a bit more on the support that is available to jockeys in particular through the PJA or the IJF currently? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's there's quite a lot of support available. Uh, I think that, um, uh, and we find that more and more jockeys, and uh, in IJF's case, retired jockeys are now coming forward for help, which is fantastic. Um, so we can do the the work with uh, jockeys who've identified that there's uh, some issue, some mental well-being issue that they're concerned about, and we don't just want to see people when there's a, there's a big problem. We're very happy to see people when there's a big problem, but we'd be really interested for people to come forward early and have a conversation with us. And we can kind of think together about what's the, what's the most helpful way forward. For some, it might be mental health support. For others, it might be other things that... So uh, in the IJF, we often help people with uh, financial issues, which... Mm -hmm can have an enormous impact on people's mental health. If you're worrying about your financial situation, uh, being offered financial help is probably much more helpful than uh, uh, what a clinical psychologist can offer you. So it's kind of thinking, what's the right intervention for the, for the problem? Um, and working really uh, closely with the PJA and uh, I guess thinking about uh, where the, the role of the BHA as well, in terms of thinking about the sort of industry-wide um, uh, impacts on people's well-being and thinking about how can we all work together as an industry to think about how we can maintain people's mental well-being and, and ideally improve it. Um, so it's kind of working at both ends and we're really keen to work at both ends, both in terms of working with issues as they arrive, but also thinking about how do we where we can prevent the issues arising in the first place so that we have a sort of lower threshold of, of mental well-being issues across the industry. That would be a fantastic place to get to. I think that really mirrors the work that's happening at Racing Welfare for the wider um, sort of working and retired population. Tina, you might be able to speak a bit more about that from a sort of stats perspective of what we've seen. I mean, certainly we've seen that as well, the financial impact um, through COVID on people's mental health and um... last year we saw a 153% increase in a support mental health support at race and welfare which you know that sort of points towards the fact that more people in racing 
need mental health support, but actually, as you mentioned earlier, Duncan, about stigma, people are actually starting to get over that stigma now and are actually contacting Racing Welfare about mental health, which I think is absolutely key to that stat, that we're starting to overcome that shame that surrounds mental health. These podcasts, I'm sure, are having a really positive impact on that. So I think the the ones that I've listened to, uh, people talking about their own uh, issues with mental well-being uh, is a fantastic uh, thing to do in terms of reducing stigma. That I think the more we talk about it and the more that we talk about our own mental health issues, the more likely people are then to kind of come forward for, for mm-hmm. help. It's, it's in the past where we didn't talk about it that I think uh, uh, it, it's the stigma grows if we try and sweep it under the carpet. It's great to hear you say that because that's kind of been our, um, our main, right. main with the whole podcast is just to get everyone talking about these these issues. But um, I'd just like to tie back to what you're saying about the wider industry piece because there's um, a survey been launched recently, which I think closes actually at the end of this week, um, which has been launched by the Industries Wellbeing Committee and it is for everyone across the industry, jockeys, media, race course staff, stable staff, stud staff to fill in to try and give that baseline data of where we are and being able to hold that committee and the wider industry accountable to taking actual steps forward. So um, if you are listening and you haven't filled in the survey, please head to Racing Welfare's website and the link is there um, and that closes on the 16th of May. And we're talking about mental health and nature on this episode because that's the the theme for Mental Health Awareness Week. And nature can have a really powerful effect on our mental health. Why is that? What is it in our brains? Or can you kind of explain that from a psychologist's point of view? Well, uh, our environment has a massive impact on our mental well-being, whatever the environment is. And I think one of the things that we've noticed over this last year with covid is that everyone's experienced a a sort of you know a massive environmental change whether that's to their uh where they are physically or what they're how they're working or the restrictions around their working and and i think that's led to a really helpful conversation about people's mental well-being people are talking about it much more than they ever did before and i think because it's impacted all of us people are more open to talk about it. And I think that's, that's, there's not many positives come out of this last year, but that's one of them. And the other bit of it is that a lot of us have sort of kind of reconnected with nature, with green spaces. Um, and we do know, as you said, that, uh, uh, you know, being in green space is beneficial to our well-being. Um, so, uh uh, and and it sort of correlates. So the, the greener the space that we live in, generally, the better our mental well-being. Um, uh, I mean, part of it might be that, you know, that we're just, we evolved in, in green spaces. So it's only the last couple of hundred years that humans have lived in an urban environment. So we've had thousands and thousands of years of living amongst, you know, in, in green spaces, trees and bushes and very rural sort of environment. So 
probably part of it is that our brain just thinks if it's green it's probably all right <laughs> on a very simple level <laughs> tell that to my kids um, <laughs> trying to feed them a green vegetable <laughs> yeah it, I, I mean we have to be careful with these things because for some you know sometimes it works the opposite way it's really stressful if you're in a green environment but, but on the whole we've we've evolved to feel more comfortable if we're in somewhere that's you know lush and green because it says this is probably a good place to be the, where it gets more complicated is that um, uh, uh, so there is this strong correlation between being in green spaces and better well-being. But uh, the, the what's going on in our brains? Well, part of it might be that if we spend time in green spaces, we're using kind of different bits of our brain. So the bits that get sort of stressed out and fatigued when we're just going about our, you know, daily lives, working and so on. If we go into a, a, a into a, even if we're even if we're working in a green environment, which a lot of the people listening to this, you know, they 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 will be. But uh, we, if we go into a green space in a different way, then it probably gives that stressed out bit of our brain a bit of a rest, and we use a kind of a different bit of our brain to engage with nature. Um, so just, you know, walking through fields, looking at trees, listening to birds, uh, we know that these things have a positive impact. Uh, and it might be just that we're using a different bit of our brain and it gives the, the stressed out bit of our brain a bit of a chance to sort of recover. So if um, those people that you mentioned that are listening are, you know, are many, many racing people are outside the majority of the time, what can we do to try and embrace that and engage with it to help us and not just see it as part of our working day um, to really get the benefits of the fact that we are lucky enough to be working in that environment. Well I think I think some of it is taking time to look after ourselves um, and that's one of the issues if you're working in the, the environment as well as that's the bit of the environment that might actually be helpful for us it's hard to kind of switch from work mode into sort of uh, recovery and looking after ourselves mode. Uh, so I think people taking the time to do that. Uh, and that's, some people can do that well, but I think it's also about how do we look after each other? Um, mm -hmm. And how do we kind of check in with each other that we're, we're doing all right? That human contact is probably the most beneficial thing that we have. So for someone else who's kind of in the same uh, working environment with us, just to sort of check in and say, you know, how are you doing? Uh, and not just to accept the default response of fine, because that we know that if someone asks you, how are you, you, will, you know, fine is the right answer. <laughs> but to get a bit behind that and say, no, but how are you really doing? Mm -hmm. And then that allows people to sort of open up a little bit more about how they're really doing. And then we can help them take that that sort of time out and it doesn't need to be long so we know uh, that it, it the, the benefits that we get from being in nature uh, we, it only takes 10 minutes to sort of get most of the benefit that we're going to get so you don't have to spend hours and hours uh, walking and you just need to have 10 minutes which is you just in the green space not thinking about work or thinking about the space that you're in rather than thinking about work is probably enough for our uh, sort of uh, to give us something of recovery which is helpful for us 
Lauren and I were chatting um, before we did this podcast about sleep and that's another important part of getting outside isn't it to be able to help us sleep better. Yeah and I think with sleep a lot of this is about adaptation how we adapt to changes and uh, there are some sort of uh, physiological responses that give us clues that perhaps we're, we're not uh, we're a bit stressed or we've not sort of managed to adapt as well as we might and sleep is one of those big clues so uh, we know that when people are starting to have uh, uh, mental well-being challenges sleep is often one of the first thing that's affected so uh, with people who are uh, depressed, uh, often they have very little sleep or wake up in the morning not feeling at all refreshed. And this is a sign that, OK, maybe it's time to sort of seek some help. With anxiety, it's often the other way around, that it's hard to get to sleep at night. But once you do. Um, but you're also right that actually if, if, if we start to notice those differences, we can, we can do things that might be helpful for us. And... Uh, uh, it's 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 more the, the the daylight that resets our body clock. So being outside helps reset our body clock, which then helps us to sleep better. So there's this weird thing that our body clocks don't work on a 24-hour cycle. They work on a 25-hour cycle. Uh, so if we don't get outside and reset them, we start to it starts to impact on our sleep and with. Uh, well, anyone who's got adolescents know that they go to bed later and later and wake up later and later. And that's, that's one of the signs of the, the sort of the internal body clock not being kind of reset. Um, so daylight, we know, is helpful in resetting our body clocks. But um, I think what we need to do is to listen to our bodies when things start to feel different, to think what's going on around me, what's going on in my environment, what, what might I have control over, to be able to reduce the, the stress uh, so that I can get on with, uh, with life. Tina, I hope you're taking this on board because you've been struggling with your sleep recently. <laughs> I know. It's really, really helpful, yeah, um, knowing that getting out there and actually on the days when I do sleep better, I do realise that, oh, I've been out for nearly all day today if it's a weekend day, and whereas because we work from home, uh, it's quite hard to get out into nature sometimes. Yeah you know, especially at the moment. Duncan, thank you so much for taking the time. It's been really interesting. Thank you so much to our guests today, Chris Hughes and Dr. Duncan Law. Um, it's been quite an episode, Tina. <laughs> yeah, it really has. And it was interesting to hear from Chris and about his own mental health and mm. how he's coped with anxiety and low points in his life. And I think it quite it resonated with me actually when he was saying about being organised and having <laughs> that list and a diary and space and tidiness and it just gives you a little bit more space mentally in your mind and yeah. and um, also being riding out and him talking about how he felt free on a racehorse and you know just being out in nature and and being connected to the horse that was interesting as well I know when I was driving in this morning for this uh, I saw Harry Eustace's string walking back to their yard and oh the sun was shining and mm. I was thinking 
I wish I wasn't sat in my car. I wish I was out riding out. <laughs> oh, no. It makes such a difference, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. And I think as well, it's just so lovely, as we keep saying every week, to hear people like Chris talking about it, being open about it. And, you know, that's what we're trying to achieve with this whole series, isn't it? Is just opening up those conversations. and Yeah, and I think one something that he kept talking about as well was being able to you know there's lots of support out there and having a support line that's 24 7 you have that opportunity to talk to somebody who is sort of neutral and they're there those people are there to help and you know it's just kind of a safe space to talk about those issues and that's why we always say it's something that Katie Scott said on one of our previous episodes actually is just the importance of having a support system like racing welfare in place and that's why we say you're never alone mm. you know it sounds really cliche to say you're never alone if you work in racing but you aren't because there's always somebody to talk to if you are struggling with mental health yeah and that was um something that came out of our conversation with Dr. Duncan Law, wasn't it, about Mm -hmm. um, the work that him and Changing Minds are doing with the IJF and the jockey coaching programme. And it's just so great to see some real proactive work being done. And I think um, it was really interesting as well to see how much that was mirroring the work that's coming out of racing welfare. You know, we've got a lot of preventative mental health services as well. And, you know, he mentioned about the jockey coaches doing their mental health first aid training and that's something that we provide as well for the wider workforce and aiming to have one of those mental health first aiders in every racing workplace is um you know it's going to be so important yeah it really is and those mental health first aid courses are really worth doing and people have learned a lot from them we've seen that from people that we've spoken to who've been on the courses there's also you know counseling Mm -hmm. so mental health was our actually our top call type of 2020 yeah and usually that's physical health so that just shows um, that people are coming forward which is vital yeah and that people have been probably struggling a bit more over the last year through a pandemic and if somebody's listening now and wants to get in touch the best way to get in touch is to give us a call on 0800 6300 443 or you can visit the website at racingwelfare.co.uk and there's plenty of advice pages on there too under the mental health tab. So yeah, if you are in need, please get in touch and as Tina said, you are not alone.